Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. All right, welcome to the podcast. We have Liesl Huber here and Irina Falcone, my co-host, and we're just going to launch right into it. Liesl, thank you for joining us. I'm so psyched to be on the call with you guys. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So you're based in New York now. That's kind of an obvious starting point for us. What brought you to New York? Well, um, this wonderful organization named the NYJTL, uh, I was researching them and I saw the facility that uh, they had in the Bronx and I thought, let me come and check it out. And I was researching how many kids they served and, and I contact them and I contact a gentleman named Joe Cirillo and, and he's an old friend of mine. And I said, how can I be involved? And I decided to come up for the grand opening of the facility. It's a $26.5 million donor funded facility. And that's, that's all she wrote. So I've been here for two years now and we get to serve the community and uh, we do work in the commercial side as well. But really the, the carrot for me is is serving the community and the 30,000 kids that surround our tennis center and then serving all the bars. So, uh, but New York is, is fun. It's fun. It's fast paced. Uh, you know, people love tennis, so we're very lucky. And then, you know, people have a open heart and a, and a open pocket, you know, to serve the community. So for me being a professional tennis player, this is just the, you know, the tip of the iceberg, the cherry on the cake for sure. Are you surprised to find yourself out here in New York and working with kids? Or is this something that you kind of imagined for yourself after you wrapped up playing? Because you didn't, you wrapped up recently, you retired recently. Yeah, I retired two years ago, you know, at the US Open. I had been out previously having um, our son, who's now three, you know, for me, it was always about giving back, about paying it forward. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me that I'm, maybe it surprises me that I'm in New York and because we spend so much time in Texas, but it doesn't surprise me that I'm in this kind of role, you know, leading a big time, uh, a tennis center, but also playing a major role in a nonprofit because for me, it wasn't about reaching number one. But really that, that platform that I had to stand on to make a difference. So, um, you know, it's just, it, it truly, I have to pinch myself to say, Hey, I'm living in New York, but I get to do what I possibly didn't dream of as a child because I didn't realize that while wow, you could actually reach as many people, you could stand on this platform. But now it is truly, you know, this is truly what I was meant to do. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. That's amazing that you're you're doing this. And uh, the last time I saw you was actually in Midland, uh, Michigan, last February. And when you told me you were living in New York, I was like, 
holy cow, you have kids living in New York. Raising kids in New York is not um, such a common thing, like moving over there with uh, young children. Uh, but tell us a little bit more about this nonprofit that you're working um, with. Um, what's your day-to-day? What are you guys, like, what's your main goals, would you say? You know, our main goals is, you know, end of story. It's reaching the community. It is truly changing lives. It is exposing people to something that they maybe could not get at home. It is being that parent, perhaps, you know, if they don't have that stable upbringing, it is showing them that we can give them confidence through something that they never thought they could do. And, um, you know, it's not just about being a good tennis player. When the kids are in our program um, and they interview, let's say, and this is our ultimate goal, when they interview to go to a university or maybe a job, the guy who's the number one tennis player in the state or the guy that's the number one in our hearts uh, in the in our program, uh, they will interview similar. If not, our kid will, our kid meaning the kid that grew up in the NYJTL, will go with utmost confidence in there and knowing that they also belong. So really, um, you know, we deal with all walks of life. Uh, you cannot tell who is commercial kid. You cannot tell who's the kid that's on scholarship. And it's their escape. You know, Martina Navratilova told me what she played her best tennis when she was going through her worst times in her life. And really, that's what we want to have the NYJTL and Kiri Leeds Tennis Center be for those kids. Forget the problems that you have. They're real. But here you're going to be focused on your future and what lays ahead. And it's pretty bright. So, um, you know, I am just so lucky. I don't think it's the kids that are lucky. I feel like I'm the lucky one that gets to be a part of their story. I think that's pretty impressive that the kind of work you've managed to figure out and a, and a path you found. And, and now, when you first came here, were you working at the Carrie Leeds Tennis Center for Learning? Are you excited about it being the home of the Bronx Open? You know, for me, the most exciting thing is going to be when the players start arriving. Wow, you're in the Bronx. Because I can imagine players saying in the Bronx, in the South Bronx, uh, but, you know, I remember when I played the GHI Classic, and I think you probably did also, uh, Irina, is it was like you play and you get on that bus and you head on out. It is so different. It is home for me. It is, and these players are going to be so welcomed. Um, They're going to play their best tennis. Our kids are going to see them play their best tennis. Folks in the community, folks from Manhattan, and I believe from folks all over the country are going to come and watch them. So it is a dream come true. And why I say that is because two years ago, we were in the talks to have a $50,000 tournament there. And we were thinking, how are we going to fund this? How are we going to do this? When is the tournament going to be? How can we convince people to, to give us this tournament? And here we are two years later. Um, and we are so grateful to the USTA and the WTA for believing that we can pull this off. So now the ball is in our court and let's see how we pull this off. I, I can't believe that you guys are having a WTA tournament. I mean, anytime a WTA tournament, women's tennis can be uh, come like a staple in your community. I mean, it's huge. And Bronx, you, when you when you think of Bronx, you don't think, wow, that's like a birthplace for tennis. You know, you think of Florida, you think of California, but you don't necessarily think of the Bronx. And uh, it's just got to be so cool for you to be kind of behind the scenes in a sense 
all these players are coming in. You've had so much experience playing tournaments before. What are the most uh, important things that you've had to value knowing that there's a level of professionalism that is expected at WTA tournaments? You know, I think always in the work that I do, I have very high expectations and I do not want to disappoint. So for every little aspect that we do, and our tournament director said it to me earlier today, he says, you have such an eye for detail. But I think that comes from also being number one. You know, I wasn't the most talented player. I just worked really hard. So it does not matter during the, the 10 days that we have the event, if we sleep or we don't sleep. We want to leave an impression on every single player and let them know you are welcomed here. You, We gave you our best. Uh, this is your home. If you're off the tour, come and train here if you want to be involved in the organization. And we wish you all the best for the U.S. Open. So it is it is unbelievable the work that goes in to a, a WTA tournament or a USTA tournament. And again, we have such strong partnership with the WTA and the USTA that we don't, don't want to disappoint them at all. Uh, we We have weekly meetings. I think we have daily or hourly uh, conversations and calls. And really, it is about the player experience. For us, we know the players are sharp. They want this extra little bit of confidence heading into the U.S. Open. So, And and what better place than just down the street? Um, we, we want them just to feel at home. Wow, they're staying in Manhattan. They get to play these extra matches, real time, real money, real points. And so um, let's see, let the best one win. I think it's pretty exciting that it's all come full circle for you. You know, you're number one. You just mentioned that casually. You know, number one in the world is such a a, a big, huge thing. And that you're going to be around at this tournament, a familiar face for a lot of these players is also pretty cool. But you've also won seven doubles Grand Slams, three of which are at the U.S. Open. And the U.S. Open is just around the corner. Does it feel wild to you that you're you know, around the U.S. Open, you're in New York. Are you going to go to the U.S. Open? How connected are you to Flushing Meadows? Well, I'm actually very connected. That's a great question. You know, my love and as everybody will know, I say my biggest accomplishment was becoming an American citizen. I think that tennis has given me a lot, but this country has given me more. This is truly amazing opportunity to work in New York, to give back, to be in tennis. Uh, I said to my mother today, whether I am here in New York or any other place, uh, I will always give back to tennis. Tennis has given me a lot. So here I am in New York. I think the the Grand Slam, my first Grand Slam was the most special one that I won. But the one that really had the place in my heart was when we won on 9-11. Not the 9-11, but years later. I couldn't sleep the night before. I kept thinking... What am I going to say in my speech? We had won the match, and I don't remember what I said in my speech, but it was just very emotional thinking I'm having this high and this amazing moment, and there's families that are, you know, have the anniversary of a loved one that they missed. You know, I I don't pinch myself anymore that I live in New York. I'm a USTA board member, so I'm part of the New York family. I When I go to the National Tennis Center, I now look at it as a board member. Wow, this construction project is going good. Or this monument's getting put up. That's great. Or this is on par, on course. So I look at it a little bit different, maybe in the business side. So so you're, you're talking about U.S. Open. I mean, it's just got to be so special. I mean, the playing 
playing on the anniversary of 9-11, I can't even imagine that. I was actually in school when it happened, and I was in school in New York, um, and it was a very emotional day for sure. Um, but I just want to go back to where it kind of ended yet began for you. I mean, in 2017, when you decided to retire, what was it that you know prompted you to say, all right, this is it. I'm finally putting the rackets down, and I'm, I'm calling it quits in a sense. You know, I learned a lot and I feel that there's no substitute for experience. That's one of my mottos. And uh, if if I can see somebody else learn from something, I'll take that lesson and apply it. But I had seen a lot of my friends uh, when they retired of the pro tour that they retired prematurely. And when they retired, they didn't have a plan B. Early on in my career, I didn't want to play anymore because my husband wasn't traveling. I was traveling. I missed home. And my husband said, what's your plan B? And I said, I didn't have one. He said, okay, well, then you have a problem. Let me quit my job and I'll travel with you full time. So here I was uh, playing the US Open and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I had already taken this position of executive director for the NYJTL at Kerry Leeds. I had already taken the position, but what better place would it be for me to retire than at the US Open? And what it made extra cool is I played with a boy. And, you know, maybe you guys know who it was. I don't even remember his name. I was just, I think I was just in such a daze that this was going to be my last pro tournament. But a young man, he was 17 years old and it was his first Grand Slam. So here I was at the end of my career and I could pay it forward to him and playing his first. And I could retire in the city that was the most special city to me. And that was, I was going to call home. Um, I think that boy was Danny Thomas. Yeah, that's right. Danny Thomas. And we stayed in touch for a little while after, you know, his career is on the go. Do your kids play? Is that something that you you have two sons, right? I don't know how old they are. I think they're young. Do they play? Do they have interest in playing? What's your what's your interest level in them playing? You know, you ask people uh, if their kids are going to play one day and they say, oh, no, I would give anything for my kids to play. But my six-year-old is just so much around tennis because we are at work all the time. We are there, you know, 80, 90 hours a week. We love it. And so today he was there all day and he didn't hit one ball. Like I just said, Joshua, can you please go and hit some? Can you play? Can you try for five minutes? No, mommy, it's too hot. But, uh, you know, he's a, he's a decent player. He can hit the ball, but he just, you know, I don't know if it's kids these days or just, Mommy's not tough enough on him, or I feel maybe he is hot. I don't know. But my three-year-old is into it. We we live uh, in the city, and there's a park, and I'm actually looking at it right now. And there, uh, that's the amazing thing about uh, New York City and Manhattan. There's four tennis walls. So sometimes I come with my three-year-old, and we just have the spongy balls, and he does bounce hit, bounce hit. But whatever they want to do would be great but I would love for them to take on the tennis route that's so funny that you're talking about um public tennis courts I grew up in New York um I moved there when I was two years old and we happened to live across nine public tennis courts and that's pretty much how it started for me so I can totally appreciate the whole public parks thing I think it's fantastic it's not everywhere where you can just leave your apartment building and there's public courts that you can play at freely I mean that's pretty fantastic now, if we can only, I remember you telling me that, but if we can only fix the weather here and then people can play at the public courts year round, we have this thing called winter 
and it just ruins the outdoor time. <laughs> and uh, being from South Africa, I struggle the winters here. But uh, the public uh, public facilities are amazing. There's people of all walks of life playing. And, I mean, that's what America's made for me, I mean, made of. It's just anybody can do anything they set their heart on. I mean, there's people that are good, amazing players playing on these walls, and then there's people that are just coming out for exercise. And so sometimes I just look, and sometimes somebody recognizes me. And one time I said to somebody, can I give you some advice? And they didn't want it. Wow, that was a missed opportunity from them. No, you don't need to fix everybody. You know, my husband says you don't have to fix everything. So they're fine. They had their parent helping them. and uh, But, you know, it is we're so lucky the public facilities here in New York are talking about the services in New York and um, the people that are invested in the companies and the DOE and the politicians and the NYJTL definitely wouldn't be where we are and couldn't have served as many kids uh, and parents as we, if it wasn't for everybody that's so invested. It is, you cannot believe, I think that is the thing that got me the most of New York is realizing how amazing the people are. Everybody thinks New York, people are cutthroat. People open their hearts, their homes, their wallets for causes. And every day, every day, every day. So for that, we, we, we could not be without. You mentioned South Africa. So you're South African by birth, but you moved to America as a teenager. And now you feel American, right? You, when, you, when people ask you, what do you say? You're like, I'm South African? No, I'm American. They say, where's that accent from? I go, Texas, can't you tell? <laughs> That's pretty clever. I like that. Yeah, I have been here. I've been here since I'm age 15 and I'm 42. So I've spent more than half of my life here. I just can't get rid of this accent. I'm trying real hard. Texas wasn't the place to pick it up, but New York might be. I'm trying. And you met your husband because of tennis as well. So tennis is kind of your entire your entire story. Did you meet him at the Vandermeer Tennis Academy, which is where you went after or when you came to America? Is that kind of where it all began for you in the U.S.? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, you know, a lot of people along the way that one can be grateful for, and Dennis Vandermeer just passed away a couple weeks ago, and he had seen me play in the Orange Bowl. And uh, Irina, you can probably say the same. There's a lot of people on the way that one is thankful for. And he gave me my first start. Of course, my parents gave me my first start. But here overseas, they did. They took me into their academy and gave me a part scholarship. And that was, you know, enabling me to practice with the likes of uh, Amanda Kutzer, who was three in the world, and other players. So I truly had that opportunity. But boy, I had to grow up really fast because I was 15. We traveled and I obviously I couldn't pay for the coach. They let me borrow the coach. Uh, if I needed a ride and they rented a car, they'd give me a ride. And that's how it was in those days. Not so much now. You know, I think nowadays a player, if you, you don't, you don't want to give to another player because you think it will take away from you. 
But I truly think that era, Sabatini and those kind of players were the players that reached out to help other players that made them uh, more, you know, that character and the players that we remember still today. But now I'm going off topic, but um, I met my husband at Vandermeer. We have been married for... 20 years now and we have two little ones we're old parents because we wanted to do the tennis thing first and my husband is the director of tennis at the Kerry Leeds Tennis Center so it's very much our love and our passion and our every day when we drive home we talk tennis I just wanted to comment on uh, on the passing of Dennis Vandermeer. I mean, he's he was just so pivotal for for tennis and he was so pivotal in your life and uh yeah I think as all tennis players, uh, Nina also played herself. And there's always someone or there's always a team that usually kind of catapults you into, you know, greatness when it comes to success in tennis. And that was the case when I was 14. I moved to Florida and I found Brenda Schultz McCarthy, whom I'm sure you know, Liesl. And she also kind of took me in as well. So, yeah, I guess we all kind of have those heroes, those, those players and coaches that want to help the upcoming future and that's just what keeps the sport so wonderful it's just a paying it forward kind of sport yeah I think if you go by yourself you don't go very far but if you take a team you can go very far and it's truly the people that believe in one so it doesn't matter what your ranking are or you know it doesn't uh, those things it doesn't matter where you're from or as long as you just work hard I think that's what people notice like both of you you work hard and people invest in you and and now you can, you guys are paying it forward also. So for me, the motto is pay it forward. I love that. I think that's, I think that's an important lesson to, to share with everyone, you know, this podcast and, and with us, of course, personally, I mean, we're honored to have you and talk to you and pick your brain. And we talk about tennis, obviously on the tennis.com podcast, but when you look at your career and you look at all these people you've met, your husband, your family, your job, do you have any standing memories, your favorite memories? Is it the U.S. Open final? Is it your first slam like you mentioned when things stand out? I know you played against Venus and Serena Williams. I mean, you played with Bob Bryan. You've had an incredible career. What stands out to you? Uh, you know, I, if I had to group the special memories, there are so many and so many people to thank. But truly, I think it's the day I became a U.S. citizen. I wasn't around a tennis court or anything, but my tennis truly was the reason that I became a U.S. citizen. If I hadn't moved here and I hadn't met my husband, then I wouldn't have become a U.S. citizen. And why it was so special to play the Olympics for the U.S. My second most special memory was walking through that tunnel, and I have goosebumps as I'm talking about this. I wish you can see them. It's real is when I walked through that tunnel at the Olympics, my very first Olympics in my U.S. gear. That It was in Beijing. That was a special, special moment. I think my whole body just kind of went in shock and thought I'm part of the best country and the best nation. You know, other memories that were so special is representing the U.S. in Fed Cup competition. You know, a match we were down 5-2 in the third set and uh, pulling that match out. But I'm going to tell you what, the memory that truly changed my career and it meant nothing to anybody was a match that I played at the French Open. It was a doubles match. It was perhaps the quarterfinal. My partner and I, Katerina Shabotnik, at the time, it was 1999. We played against, and nobody knows this, and nobody, I've never really shared this story, but in 1999, Katerina Shabotnik and I played against Monica Seles, 
and Mary Jo Fernandez. And the match meant nobody to anybody. But we won the match. And that's the day I truly believe like I belong. Being from a third world country, if you will, being a foreigner, I never quite felt like I was good enough. And that match gave me the confidence to know when I stepped out on the court that I could do my best and I could win a match. That it was that it was even Steven, you know, coming out of the block. It's always amazing to me how the moments that really can impact our lives are so small. And thank you for taking the time to share such a special moment like that with us. And yeah, you may think that it, it was really, it didn't mean anything, but look, you look at the career you had, you know, after that, after that little bit of belief, what one match can do for someone's belief and confidence should, for anyone listening, I mean, that's just amazing to hear it from a former number one. You know, and that's when kids come our way and they think nothing is falling their way or they don't have the confidence or even it's, if it's an accomplished player, like a pro player maybe that sends me a message to say, I don't know what to do. I have no confidence that I can show them that confidence is just in their head, you know, that, that we can change it. We can, the way you think about yourself or how you apply yourself, you just have to work hard every day. Which one is going to come first? Are you going to be number one first and then you're going to apply yourself? Or are you going to say, I'm going to do all these things that a number one player would do and then that kind of comes. So, you know, I just learned it's hard work. I have a secret. I say it's three words. It's hard freaking work. And so that's what I teach my players. I just say hard freaking work. You know, just work hard every single day. And so that confidence will come. And doesn't matter if you want to be a professional dancer or you want to be a scientist or whatever. Just apply yourself and believe in yourself and, and you're well on your way. I just can't imagine that a former number one seven-time Grand Slam champion is out teaching kids lessons like that every single day out here in the Bronx. I mean, that is so special. And and like Irina said, you know, thanks for your time and thanks for joining us on this episode. And, and I think uh, I think we'll have to close on that. That's too good. No, I am truly the lucky one. I'm truly the lucky one. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Thank Thank you guys for taking the time to be with me. And everybody stay tuned for the Bronx Open. Exactly. Looking forward to the Bronx Open. It runs August 16th to 24th. Um, So, yeah. Thank you for joining us. This has been the Tennis.com podcast, and I've been Nina Pantic. I've been Irina Falcone. Thanks for listening, you guys, and thanks, Liesl, for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you.